Hallelujah. I love the presence of God. And while I was not here this morning, I had a conversation with Brother Perryman. At least one of the points, I know there was a lot of good stuff contained in that sermon, but at least one of the points was it's kind of the ball's in your court. What are you going to do about it? Here is water. What doth hinder me? Not why are you hindering me, but what doth hinder me? It's in our court. And our worship is absolutely wrapped up in what are you going to do? I cannot worship for you. I cannot worship enough for you. I cannot worship more so that you worship less. There's my voice and there's your voice. And I'm so thankful. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Love the worship of God. Thank you, praise team, for so ably leading us into his presence. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 4. Now, I'm going to tell you that my sermon not does not necessarily follow the worship that we've just been through. But sometimes you just got to preach a message that may not fit any of the worship we've just done. But uh, I, I felt this. I've been feeling this for quite some time. And then at General Conference, Brother Jerry Jones began to quote some of the verses that I had written down. And so I just kind of said, all right, Lord, I'm listening. And I want to preach you today. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 4 says this. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear. Neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Does that sound familiar anybody? Probably because you don't know the Isaiah part, but you do know Paul's words. Paul echoed this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6. And he says, but as it is, or verse 9 rather, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them only unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now, that verse speaks volumes. I want you to look up a little bit before that. In verse 7 it says that we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Now we know, we know that Jesus had to die on the cross. That was that supreme sacrifice. So if Rome didn't do it, if the Jews didn't do it somewhere, there would have to have been a death. But if they would have only known what they were dealing with, if they'd only known how the scripture had played out, maybe it had been a little bit different, but I had not yet seen, nor ear had heard, nor had it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. I want you to ask the Lord to speak to you tonight. Would you do that? Father, we thank you. Lord, we're here with your word, the most important moment of this service for us. The worship is for you, but the word is for us because we need you to speak to our hearts. We need your word to speak to us in Jesus' name. Touch us, we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Uh, anybody ever heard of an old song? If my research shows me a little correctly, I believe it was written in about 1873. So it's an old song, but I, I didn't realize it was quite that old, but you ever heard that old song that says, give me that old 
old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. It's good enough for me. And then that was the first part. That's really all that was there. And then later on, as we are so inclined to do, we start adding verses. It was good for the Hebrew children. It was good for the Hebrew children. It was good for the Hebrew children. It's good enough for me. It was good for Paul and Silas. It was good for Paul. We've sung that song. Many of you know it. It's a cool song. A bit tongue-in-cheek, I'm going to tell you, I don't like that song. Now, I'm going to preach against this song, and then later on, I'm going to want to sing it because it's going to fit a sermon I preach, and y'all are going to remind me that I preached a message about how I don't like that song, and I, I don't. I, I really don't. The longer I'm alive, the more that I live, the more that I exist, I don't like that song. And, and let me say it loud and clear. There's really only one thing. Now, everybody know what air quotes are? For those that are just listening, if they see it, they, they know. But air quotes, that's, that's where you're trying to say something, but you're, you're really wanting to say something else, okay? There's only one thing old that I'm okay with. And that is, it's not old at all, but rather it's timeless. I, I love and I desire and I crave the timeless word of God. Listen to me, somebody. The word of God is not old. The word of God is not ancient. It is timeless. It transcends time. It transcends space. It transcends culture. It transcends language barriers. It transcends economic status or any other progression of human history. It is not something you walk into an antique store and you say, I want that old book. But rather, it is a book that is relevant today just as it was when Moses began to pen it way, way back. My wife and I, we, we, we spent this weekend, we, we had general conference, and then her cousin got married, and, and, and God is just working in that family, and I'm so thankful. And they had asked uh, me to do the wedding and I took it as an honor and took it as an opportunity and I'm thankful anytime someone desires to get married with the blessing of God on their marriage not just the justice of the peace I think that's important and so uh, we went up there to Chicago we, we left General Conference Friday morning we drove all the way to Chicago and uh, got there basically just in time to go to the rehearsal and then the rehearsal dinner and then we slept and got to kind of chill out for a moment. And then we went to the wedding. And that was a long ordeal. And uh, then we left this morning and, and came here. But one of the neat things that, that happened was uh, the, 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 the groom's brother has two little boys. I forget their age. I think they're like four and two or something like that. But Jack and James. And they were the honorary uh, ring bearers. But they didn't bring a ring in. Of course, we would never trust these kids with the rings anyway, so usually it's just a fake ring on a little pillow. But instead, they carried a Bible. It's about this big. And, and I had not seen it before the ceremony. I knew what they were doing, but I had not seen it. And so when, when it came up, they handed me the Bible so that I could put it on the, the, uh, the pulpit. And, and I'm telling you, it was a very well... You, there's sometimes you can just feel something and know it's well made. The, the leather was just exquisite. It was green. It was kind of just not hard, but, but almost supple leather. And I, I began to look at it, and I, I, I knew uh, the groom's side of the family. The groom's side of the family has a lot of Polish blood in it and even has some, some English and uh, uh, some, some of that blood. And, and I, I honestly, I had thought it was the groom's grandmother's side of the Bible. 
It looked like it was in Polish. Not that I speak Polish, but I knew it wasn't English. Come to find out at the end, it was not Polish, it was Norwegian. It's from the, the, the bride's side of the family. And the Bible that I held in my hands was over 100 years old. Been in that family. They, 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 they talked about how in, in, in moments of their life that Bible was what they brought, what they held on to. Maybe part of it was tradition. Maybe part of it was sentimental value. But I'm here today to tell you that the Bible, the Word of God, is not old. And I, I want you to grab hold of that. It's not old. Old is archaic. Old is old-fashioned. But the Word of God, is it, it transcends. I, I'm, I'm convinced. I like studying the Bible in, in, in the, the ancient languages. I'm glad that I can learn a little bit. And Brother uh, uh, Jared right here on the front row is learning Greek, I think. And, and, and he's learning to read Greek and to write Greek. And I'm thankful for that. But listen, I don't care if you have the Bible in French, English, Swahili. You can have it in Pig Latin. You can have it in the in the language of the Fiji, uh, the, the, those in Fiji. It, it doesn't matter if it's in Spanish. The word of God is true. So I don't want the old time religion. Here's the reason why. I worship a God that has never changed. I'm not worshiping an old God and old ways. I, and then on the on the flip side of that, I, I don't I've not come to anything and say I'm worshiping a new God in new ways. All right? Because my God has never changed. The Bible says there is no shadow of changing with him. And so, in fact, the Bible says he, he, he's not the old way, he's not the new way. The Bible says this: I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, my worship consists of two parts. And I want you to listen very carefully because this is vitally important for your growth with God. You worship God for two reasons. Number one, he's sovereign, he's holy, he's God almighty. He he was before we were and he'll be there long after I'm gone. He is God. Beside him, there is no other. He was there before time began. He was there before the worlds were formed. He was there before the angels were created. I worship him because he's God. But here's the second reason I worship him. I worship him because of what he's done for me. I worship him because he has worked in my life. He has worked on my life. He has kept me from danger. He has pulled me up out of the miry clay. Listen, I don't worship God because he brought some Daniel out of the lion's den. Good for him. If that's the only reason I worship God, then I'm worshiping an old God. Now, while I have never been put in the lion's den, I do know what it's like for God to rescue me out of certain destruction. I can tell you the same God that was there in the lion's den and the same God that was there in the fiery furnace and the same God that walked him over the Jordan River and through the Red Sea is the same God that's working in my life today. So I'm here to serve notice. I'm not looking for an old religion. I'm looking for something that's moving forward and he's still doing today what he's been doing for all of history I want the old church I would prefer not to be stoned because I preach the truth 
I would prefer not to have to deal with the Pharisees. I got enough ignorant people in my life. I don't need Pharisees and Sadducees. I would prefer not to have to go back to no air and no heat. This church 55 years ago started in a one-room schoolhouse on Sondran Street. You'll hear more about this. You'll see pictures later. But, but it was a one-room schoolhouse. And in that, there was an old wooden stove. And the first person that got to the church had to put wood in it, start the fire, which meant they had to get there a lot earlier than the rest of everybody so that by the time the rest of everybody got there, it was at least warm. But here's the problem. Those that were closest to the stove burned slap up. Those that were on the outskirts froze to death, and you had to decide where you were going to get so you'd be okay. I'm kind of glad we've got air conditioner and heat in here. I'm glad we've got a sound system. I don't want to go back to the old things. I believe that God's church is a church that is consistently and constantly moving forward and he says I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not about the book of Acts versus today. It's about this is what happened in the book of Acts and we get to see it for ourselves. By the way, if you'll let me digress for just one moment, the truth of God is valid today. I, I, I wrestled for a long time over the last couple of days about preaching this, and I, maybe I'll, I'll jump on it later. Or, or uh, Brother Lowe, I, I think, and I was going to tell you privately, but I'll tell you publicly too, I think you need to take some of what I'm about to say, and you need to have a whole session to teach these young people. We are watching the truth of God show its power with everything that's happening in some of these confirmation hearings with Judge Kavanaugh. Regardless of your political affiliations, regardless of whether you think he did it or didn't do it, that's not what I'm here to say, but watch this. My Bible said way, way back in Paul's day, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. You know what my daddy taught me? If you'll conduct yourself with integrity, if you'll follow the word of God, the Bible says abstain from the very appearance of evil. I, I, I kind of think if you wouldn't go to some of those keg parties in high school, they might not kind of hinder you later on it's kind of interesting that we have a vice president by the name of, of Pence and, and he came out and he said, he said for a long time in my life I've had a, a position that I'm not going to meet with a lady by herself or go hang out with a lady by herself and there were people that made fun of him and laughed at him and said that's old fashioned but he was pulling from some biblical truths and even now those biblical truths they ring their bell and they say hey if you listen to the Bible it'd keep you out of a lot of problems right now I'm thankful my parents taught me there were some places I didn't go and some things I didn't partake of and some things I didn't get involved in because the Bible is true even in 2018. It's not an archaic book. And by the way, you don't rediscover the Bible. The Bible's been there the whole time. And it never changes what it says. But I don't want that old time religion the book of Ezra chapter 3 records an incredible story that, that hopefully I can flesh out for you. If you'd like to follow along with me, you can read Ezra chapter 3. We're going to kind of start in verse 8. It goes like this. In the second year of their coming unto the house of God at Jerusalem. See, this was after some, some time that the Jews had been brought into captivity. The Jews had... They had done just awful things. You have Solomon's temple that was beautiful. It was grand. It was incredible. But Solomon did not hardly get done building that, 
that incredible edifice for God and his house, then Solomon started building temples for the Egyptian gods and everything else. And so from that point until God took them into captivity, Israel just slowly and sometimes fast slid into the abyss of sin and idolatry. There were even shameful things that happened in Solomon's temple, in that house of God. And so because of that, God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shake you, I'm going to destroy you, and I'm going to bring you into captivity, and I will reserve a remnant that will be saved, and I will allow them later to come back and start all over, much like Noah had to start all over after the flood. And so it was that the second year of their coming back, and, and Zerubbabel and J- Joshua, Joshua and the remnant of the brothers, the priests and the Levites and all that were come out of captivity unto Jerusalem there were those appointed the Levites they were 20 years old and upward and they began to set forward on the work of the house they came back to Jerusalem and Solomon's grand temple had been absolutely destroyed they could not even hardly reuse the stones that made up Solomon's temple what used to be the grandest building of all time was now just a pile of rubble and after 70 something years maybe even longer it probably was covered in vines and trees and animals running through it and so they began to build a different a new temple the Bible says that they with the workmen the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord and the priests began to blow their trumpets and the Levites began to clap and praise with their cymbals and they began to worship, they sang together there was praise, they gave thanks unto the Lord they said he's good and his mercy endureth forever and they shouted with a great shout when they had praised the Lord because the foundation of the house was laid but listen to me but there were many men priests and Levites, chief of the fathers, who were ancient men and had seen the first house and when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, they wept with a loud voice. On that day, as if I could use this terminology, when a church was being built, when a new generation was going to have their opportunity to begin to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, a generation that God had brought out of captivity, mind you, there were two voices. One voice that was heard that day was the voice that began to lift up their hands and said God's done it again God's moving again once again God's brought us out of captivity once again God has set us free once again God has delivered once again we're going to have a place to worship once again we're going to begin to worship and lift him up but in that same voice of those who were ready to see what God was doing right now came the voice of those who could only see the past They mourned the loss of the past. And they would have sung, give me that old time religion. They mourned because this house was not as big as Solomon's temple. They mourned because this house did not have the perfectly carved stones that Solomon's temple had. They mourned because gold wasn't going to be fixed over every possible place it could be. Listen to me. I I know we may have some new people. You've never even heard me preach before. Some you don't know my past. But listen, I I challenge you. You can go back and listen to every message I've ever preached. 
I have made a commitment in my life to preach the word of God without fear or favor. That whatever the word of God says, I'm gonna preach. I'm gonna preach. I'm not about to turn on the word of God and say I got something new coming and I want to do something later. I, I, I'm not about to change the word of God or change the doctrines of God. But listen to me, somebody. The same people that mourn the fact that that house wasn't big enough, did they not realize that God was still the same. We don't worship the house. We worship the God of the house. And the same God that filled up Solomon's elaborate temple was going to be the same God with his power and his majesty that was going to come down into that temple, however big or little it was, and he was going to fill that temple. Somebody listen to me. You don't need a grand edifice to worship. You don't need a beautiful place to worship. You don't need the right song. You don't need the right sermon. But a true worshiper says, when I get into the presence of God, something begins to move on me. I have been in the grandest churches that you could ever walk in and I've been in the churches where I've watched mice run across the pulpit and I have seen God move regardless of what goes on. In that day, there were two voices. The voices of the one who was ready to see what is God gonna do right now and the voice of those who were fixated on the trappings of the past. I, I ran into somebody at General Conference this year. It was one of those, I think, God moments because a few days before I'd had a conversation with a friend of mine and I had pulled out of my mind in history that, that this, this man that I met and I began to tell this story. When I was about 18 or 19 years old at, at Gateway, I, I've been blessed. I'm so thankful for my parents. They, they, they've walked with God. They've lived for God. I've been, all I know is, is the church. That don't, that don't say I've not sinned. I, you can sin sitting on these pews just as well as you can sin sitting outside. So being raised in the church ain't going to save you. But I, I was raised in church, and, and, and I had never been a part of a church that had an attendance average less than about 250 people. The churches that I had been a part of were big churches. They were grand churches. And so I didn't ever, I didn't have a big worldview about churches that weren't blessed like that. I was about 18 or 19 years old. Through the Gateway Ministerial Alliance, we went out and we preached over in Illinois. We walked up to the church, and it was a storefront, a real storefront. The church, the, 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 it was so small that the platform was only about four feet deep and it was only six inches high. They had an old kind of out of tune piano and not even a sound system, just a piano and they had a horrid, horrid set of drums over in the corner and there were only six pews. There was three pews here and three pews there. When you preached, I preached about this close to the front row. I didn't know what to do. I'd never seen a church that small. I'd never seen a church that had a hole in the floor. I'd never seen a, a church that didn't really have a sound system, didn't have a keyboard. It didn't even have a, like the old, not, not that you kids understand, it didn't even have an old projector where they put wrote words on one of those plastic sheets and laid it on the overhead projector and that's what we used to sing by. It didn't even have that. In fact, I don't think it even had songbooks. But Brother Mauser was the pastor. And I watched God begin to move in that old dusty old storefront church there in Illinois. 
and I begin to understand that God is not really interested in the building. God is interested in what's inside the building and God is interested in somebody that says, what are you going to do today? Can you move today? Here I am. We walked outside after that. I'm, my brain, I'm fried. I've never seen this in all my life. I watched God move. We walked outside of that building. And, and I remember it vividly. I could, I could almost tell you word for word what he said. I know exactly what happened. He pointed to an old electrical box that was on the outside of that little church. And, and he said, Brandon, he said, he said one day, and he pointed to some land behind that. He said, one day there's going to be a big church right there. And I've already got a place where we can pull the electric from to go to that place. And I remember years later finding out that Brother Mauser did exactly that. They built another sanctuary back there and they, they, they tied in exactly where he said he was going to tie in. And I realized something. It's not about the building. It's about the attitude. And I'm here to just tell you one more time. I'm not interested in old-fashioned religion. I'm interested in a move of God right now. I'm interested in somebody being filled with the Holy Ghost right now. I'm interested in somebody being baptized right now. I'm interested in somebody saying, I'm ready to live a holy life right now. I'm interested in somebody saying, I'm ready to get my family back in church right now. I would tell you that you're living in the best days that church has ever been. The best days of church were not in the 80s and 90s. They were not in the 60s and 70s. They were not in the 40s and 50s. They were not in the turn of the century around the Azusa Street Revival. The greatest days of the church were not in those days of the Anabaptists that were back in the 16 and 1700s. The greatest days of the church was not even the day of Pentecost when they spoke with other tongues for the very first time. But instead, the greatest day to live is right now, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. If you've got your Bibles, please turn with me. Peter begins to write. Now remember, this is Peter. Peter was the first one that had a revelation of who Jesus Christ was. I preached about this just a little bit ago. Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter, you're the very first one that understood, that kind of began to get this understanding that the man Jesus that's walking with you is none other than God manifest in the flesh. Peter, I know you denied Christ, but you're going to have a great opportunity. Peter, you're going to be the first one to stand up there on that portico outside of that upper room, and there's going to be over 3,000 people gathered in front of you. Some of them are making fun of what just happened up there in the upper room, but Peter stood up there, and he began to preach Acts 2, and he began to preach about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and when he got done, and when he gave the altar call, and he said, all you got to do is repent of your sins and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost when he preached that he could have stepped back and said this is it I'm the man they're going to enshrine me in the hall of fame of apostolic preachers they're going to look back and say ain't nobody ever ain't nobody ever hit it out of the park like Peter did see this is a problem with you and I we get caught up in our own times. Some of you are old enough 
and you have this mentality, ain't nobody ever going to hit it like Babe Ruth ever hit it. Man, if Babe Ruth could get handed a finely crafted ash Louisville slugger bat that has had years and years and years of scientific research and get thrown a perfectly crafted major league baseball I promise you he would give it up all day long to leave that time and step into 2018 and say "All right, Aaron Judge let's see what you got some of you know exactly what I'm saying some of you haven't got a clue Peter, Peter could have said, man, I've done it. But watch what Peter's words were. He said, blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to give us an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. We who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time, wherein you should greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. I know the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth though it be tried with fire it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ now listen watch it whom having not seen you love and whom you see him not you believe you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory receiving the end of your faith even the salvation of your souls Peter was preaching to those who had not even walked with Jesus. They, they weren't back there in the Garden of Gethsemane. They weren't back there on the shores of Galilee. They've come after all of that. But he said of this salvation that you have, that same salvation that, that, that Paul or Peter preached about in the book of Acts chapter 2, that same Acts 2.38 salvation, he says, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow and to whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven the things which the angels desire to look into. Now Brother, Brother Perriman, you were talking to me before service so I know you, you talked about this. You begin to talk about how when that, that, that Ethiopian eunuch was sitting in that chariot, all he had was what the old prophets had to say. He had the book of Isaiah. And when Philip got a hold of that, what did he do? He preached Jesus through the Old Testament. There were prophets Elijah and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea and Joel and Micah and they would have done anything to have walked onto that place in the book of Acts and watch the Holy Ghost be poured out. The angels did not even know the plan of God. The angels are staring, looking into the, 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 the time that we're in now, saying, is this going to be the time that God begins to call the church home? Has there been enough time? I'm here to tell you today that God is a progressive, a moving forward God. He always has a plan. And so the Old Testament prophets begin to say things 
like this. Are you ready? They said uh, uh, in, in, in Haggai chapter 2 and verse 4. Now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I coveted with you when you came out of Egypt. So my spirit remaineth among you, fear not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts. Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations and the desire of the nation shall come and I will fill this house with my glory. They were talking about that, that, that temple of Zerubbabel in a sense that we just talked about. They were standing there looking at that. Some were rejoicing that they were rebuilding the temple. Others were mourning the fact it wasn't as pretty as the old. But the Lord gives a promise. He said in just a little bit, I'm going to come down and I will fill this house with my glory. And then he makes this statement in verse 9. And the glory of this latter house will be greater than that of the former. Because God is not content with living in the past. God is not content with saying it used to be good, but now it's not. Man, I hope they can find it. He's looking for somebody that's ready to lay a foundation of God's word. He's looking for somebody that's ready to lay another brick of what does God's word say. And he says the latter shall be greater than the former. And so I challenge you. You begin to walk forward in the book of the, uh, uh, the books of the Bible and you get to John chapter 1. And it says, and the word was made flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Talking about Jesus. You go a little bit further, Matthew chapter 12, and it says that Jesus, they were on the Sabbath day, and he began to enter into the house of God, and he read the law, and he said this uh, in the middle of the Sabbath day. He said, but I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. And they lost their mind. How can anything be greater than that house how can anything be greater than those 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 marble stones and the gold that's there how can anything be greater and they missed who was standing in their midst and then in Haggai we read the latter part but let me read the first part it says in Haggai, who is left among you that saw the house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? It is, is it not in your eyes as a comparison of nothing? And then he goes on to say, be strong. Because there is coming a glory that's going to be greater than the latter house. We open this service singing that song, Greater Things. Greater Things. John chapter 1 and verse 43 Jesus found Philip and he said to Philip, follow me. Philip went and found Nathanael and said, hey, you need to follow this one that, that, that I've come in contact with. You need to, I found him in whom Moses and the law and all of the prophets did write about Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said, ah, can anything good come out of Bethlehem? I don't, or Nazareth, I don't know about that. And Philip said, oh, just come and see what I've saw. Nathanael 
walks up to Jesus. Jesus says, ha, an Israelite of whom there is no guile. And Nathaniel doesn't understand. He said, how do you know me? And Jesus said, bro, before Philip called thee, before Philip came and said, hey, come find Jesus, I saw you sitting under a fig tree. I know who you are. Nathaniel said, oh, you're the son of God. Jesus said, ah, you're just saying that because I just told you I saw you under a fig tree. But I'm going to tell you, more than just that foreknowledge of you, you're going to see even greater miracles than this. And then in John chapter 14 and verse 12, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And it absolutely blows my mind that the God who walked on water and healed blinded eyes and opened deaf ears and fed 10,000 and 7,000 and laid the, uh, uh, brought the lame man to life, it blows my mind that he would look at a rag, tag bunch of disciples and say hey I know you're not the son of God I know you're not God manifest in the flesh but greater miracles and greater signs and wonders are you going to do but he prefaces it by this because the spirit of God will be in you when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost that was that progression of God's church because if God's church only existed in the past, then when Peter died, the church would have died. And when Paul would have died, the church would have died. And when the last apostle John on that God-forsaken island would have breathed his last, the church would have died. But God never designed the church to be subject to a generation or a time period or a group of people. But God said, it is for whosoever will, let him come. And it is God's desire that in every place and in every culture and in everywhere and in every language and in every place that there would be a church triumphant moving forward. He says in Ephesians chapter 3, he says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles, I know you've heard about the stewardship of God's grace that was given, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation and it was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it's now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. This mystery that, that Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. They didn't like that. The Jews didn't like it. They wanted the church to be just for them. But God blew that out of the water when he gave that vision to Peter up on the roof of Simon the Tanner. Don't call unclean what I have called clean. But, but watch what he says. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of these saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God and created in all things. Verse 10 so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. The church is alive and well. In the Old Testament, the prophets, they didn't know what it was called. They, they didn't use the word Calvary. But in the Old Testament, 
they were looking for a Mount Calvary. Isaiah said in Isaiah 53 in verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He'll be bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes were healed. And they were looking, they knew that somewhere, somehow, there was going to have to be a sacrifice somewhere. There was going to be something that would break the curse of the law. And they were looking, they were searching for a Calvary. But then Zechariah comes along and he says, Behold, Zechariah 14, he says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh and his feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west and there'll be a great valley and half of the mountain shall be removed toward the north and half of it toward the south. I don't have time. Read all of of, of that chapter 14. And and it's really talking about when God comes back. It's a prophetic uh, rendition of what God's going to do when he calls his people. And so it was, if you will, that the Old Testament they were looking for one mountain, Mount Calvary. And they were also looking for another mountain, Mount Olive, where God was going to come back and call his people home, but they completely missed the valley in between them. The valley, that's the church. And you don't get from Calvary to glory without understanding that that church of the living God is not a distant thing, but it's an ever-present Thing. And right now, on this, I think, I'm, I've got my, my dates. I think this is, is this the last day of September? I believe it is. All I know is Thursday's my birthday, so if I can just get to there, we'll be good. But, but, if you want to get from Calvary to glory, you're going to have to walk through the church. And the church isn't some archaic notion. The church is alive right now. I want to tell you again, Peter and Paul, along with the other apostles and disciples, would give anything to be part of God's church today. They had a hard time getting churches started in cities. They were boiled in oil, tarred and feathered, stoned. Some of them were killed. But we've got young people haven't even gone to Bible college yet. I mean, they're 14, 15, 16 year old and they're starting P7 clubs in their high schools and the schools are saying, come, please do it. I'll be your sponsor. And they're saying, we want to hear. Peter and Paul would have done anything to be right. Oh, don't get me wrong. I know know social media has some horrid sides to it. But can you imagine if, if Paul could preach a message and then put the video that he preached all over social media and not have to write a letter and wait months for that letter to get there and hope the guy bringing the letter doesn't die of you know some weird disease on the road I mean I played Oregon Trail I know how many people die of dysentery Paul says are you serious I can type a letter hit send and it immediately goes where I want it to go have you read the book of Acts three times maybe four depending on on how he he, the, the chronological nature of it happens three or four times he was shipwrecked since I could get on an airplane 
and instead of taking eight months to get to where I need to go, I can be there in a couple hours? Because this is not an old-fashioned thing. God's moving right now. But the reason is this. I want you to listen very carefully. You will only get out of church what you put in to church. Those old men, and I use, I don't, when I use that word old, I'm not disparaging the age, but the Bible called them ancient men. So I'm using the same terminology that the Bible said, because I'm going to tell you right now, I've met elders of our, of our movement and elders even in this church that have more vision than some of us young people have. I've said it over and over and I'm going to keep saying it. I love it when our elders walk in and lift their hands to a song they've never even heard before. I can, I can, I can run with that. Why? Because they know it's a church that's moving. Oh, I know it's not your favorite song. I get it. But if you want my favorite song, then you're going to handle a lot of bluegrass and southern gospel, and that's what I'm going to play. Because if it's all, if worship is all about what I like, then I hope you like banjos and harmonicas and, and all of that, because that's what I listen to. I learned a long time ago, worship ain't about the song. It's about the one in the song. I love our building, and I'm glad we spent a lot of time and money and effort to, to make it look nice, but you know what? If tomorrow it got knocked down and, and we didn't have a beautiful place to worship, I'm going to walk into whatever place I can walk into and I'm going to say it's not about the house, it's about the God in the house. You only get out of church what you put into it. Those men that were looking at those foundations being laid and they were wanting the old. Here's the thing. I, I, I'm going to be honest. And, and I'll close my eyes so you don't even know I'm talking who I'm talking to. I get so tired of listening to people say, I wish we could go back to that old religion, that old time religion where the prayer rooms were filled. But here's the thing. The reason those old prayer rooms were full of God's power is because you were in them. And so you cannot say anything about a prayer room being not full if you're not in it today. They say, I, 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 I wish we could be a church that teaches Bible studies. Well, you can if you'll teach them. Because that's the difference. You get what you put into it. I wish somebody would start bringing somebody to church. It will if you do. You got to call them on Saturday and Friday and Thursday and Wednesday and Tuesday and they still don't come when you go and knock on their door because they're sleeping in. But every week, coming to church today because one day they step in your car and you, you bring them to church and the Spirit of God moves and you begin to realize that the church is still moving forward. The church is still growing. And I want to tell you today, I am not one bit worried. In fact, Sister Buford and I, we were, we were driving, and, and as it is, and we, we, I don't know why we were talking about this, but we talked about retirement. 
I got a retirement plan. I've got it in place. I put money in it and I can retire right now comfortably for two months. <laughs> it's awesome. I get that retirement sheet. Woo! Honey, let's go. We got two months to live and then we're going to be broke. Maybe it's not quite that bad, but you get what I meant. We were talking about kind of retirement. Then realized we're going to be retired and still have a kid at home, but whatever. <laughs> kind of was depressing. I'm not going to get empty nest till I'm like 78 years old. But, but we got to talk about retirement. And, and I just made this statement. And I, I said, Brienne, I said, I, I just wonder. And, and please, don't, get, don't anybody get any ideas. I ain't ready to go nowhere. I'm right where I want to be, and I think I'm right where God wants me to be. But I, I said, I wonder who our next pastor is going to be. When I'm, when, I'm, when I'm 60, 70 years old and allowed a, a, a good transition to take place, and the next and, and then I made this statement to Brienne. I wonder if that person is like five years old right now in somebody's Sunday school class. Can I just tell you for just a moment, I'm not one bit worried about where the church of the living God is going to end up when I'm too weak to raise my hands and I can't run the aisle anymore and I can't even hardly get a sermon together. I'm not worried about it. You want to know why? There's two things. Number one, the church of God has never been dependent on a time period or a person or a generation. But one, the other thing that excites me is I begin to look at these young people and I begin to look at these children and I'm watching them and God is alive and well in their life and pretty soon they're going to look back at 2018 watch it they're going to look back in 2018 and they're going to say this you remember when we sung that song greater things man I wish we could go back to them old days and they're going to realize songs may come and go and, and, and decor may come and go and a building may come and go and colors on the wall may come and go but I'm here today to tell you there's one thing that cannot pass and as long as the church of the living God grabs hold of the word of God and says I will not deviate from the timeless word of God then I'm here today to tell you that the church will move forward so I'm going to keep preaching and I'm going to keep preaching and I'm going to keep singing every song they want to sing. And as long as the song they sing glorifies Jesus, I'm going to sing with it. And I'm going to clap my hands. And I'm going to worship. And when they get up and they preach, and maybe one of our young men preaches, and it's not the best sermon you've ever heard in your life, it don't matter. Because it's God's word. I'm watching these Bible quizzers begin to quote their Bible verses. And I begin to realize the power of the word of God that even when you're frustrated and your parents and you're about ready to kill your kid because you're trying to teach him that one verse, Sister Buford, I'm not talking about you, maybe I am. And, and, and you're about ready to say, are you ever going to learn this verse? And then all of a sudden, they begin to quote that Bible verse. And in the middle of a van driving down Highway 55, the word of God begins to grab hold of my heart. And I begin to hear it. I, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I'm here today to tell you, don't 
Don't give me any old time religion. Give me that God that's moving right now. My God's not a geriatric somewhere in the annals of heaven trying to roll down on some wheelchair. But my God is alive and well. And the best days of the church are right now and the power of the church are right now because he said you're going to preach and signs and wonders will follow you that preach so here it is are you ready this is where I'm going would you stand if you want to see what happened in the book of Acts then you got to have that same fervency that Peter Paul and, and James and John and Nathaniel and Philip had you got to be willing to say, Lord, I know you can. Because you did it for Isaiah. You did it for Elijah. You did it for Elisha. I know you can do it. You did it for Moses. You gave nine plagues, ten plagues, and, and you brought them out. Can you bring me out? Because God is not a God of the past. He's a God of the future. He's a God of right now. He's a God that says, I'm going to take that church from the no names of nothing on the backside of some upper room experience, and I'm going to bring them out. Let me just tell you something. I, when we play Brother Jerry Jones' sermon, you're going to hear a lot more, and it's really cool how he did it, but these are just a few. Let me tell you, because sometimes all we see is this. We see, we see four walls and 120 people, and we enjoy that. I'm glad for it right now in the United States and Canada in the United Pentecostal Church International that's the organization that we're affiliated with there are 10,475 credentialed ministers it's a record we've never had that many preachers and ministers and pastors in all of our life right now the United Pentecostal Church International has, has 4,825 churches daughter works and preaching points in the US and Canada we've never had that many churches in all of our history. Overseas, there are over 4 million United Pentecostal apostolic believers and in America there's almost a million which means we have close to 5 million people that meet like we do and begin to preach the word of God and the spirit of God moves and that's not counting other organizations and other churches, that's just the United Pentecostal church organization. We have churches, we have ministers in 20, 227 countries and territories. And it's growing every day. Because when I remember missionaries back in the 80s and the 90s, they couldn't hardly get into a lot of countries. But it's real hard to keep this thing called the internet out of those countries. And so now... We can reach somebody in a college here in the United States. And then they go back to their country. And because God got a hold of them here, they go back and they begin to preach and teach the gospel. Because this is the best day that the church has ever seen. And 55 years later, from a run-room schoolhouse on Sondran Street, to a beautiful church building and a congregation that grows almost every Sunday, to realizing that we're just a year or two away, I believe, before we buy a piece of property and we start erecting something. I believe God gave me a word at this general conference about the closeness of our next step because we can't contain what God is doing here in O'Fallon and the surrounding areas in this little place on 835 West Terra Lane because this is the greatest hour of the church. 
So pardon me if I kind of made fun of that song. I shouldn't do that because I didn't write it. And I know what they mean and I really do get it. But let me just tell you, I'm not interested in old and archaic. I'm interested in a God that moves right now. I can't look back and say, God, I remember what you did when I was eight years old when I would come to the altar and tears would run down my face. Instead, I say, God, I'm here right now and my hands are lifted and tears are there. Lord, would you touch me afresh right now? Would you move on me right now? And if you believe that God can do it, I'm going to invite you to begin to lift your hands. I'm going to invite you to ask the Lord to show his power and his presence right now as real as he ever has before. Would you let him talk to you in Jesus' name?